You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. I am back in the UK. It's cold and it's grey. It's Monday the 22nd of May. May marches on and time to reflect on what was a dramatic day for me and everybody who was at at, uh, the Preakness in Baltimore on Saturday to reflect on a brilliant performance from an American champion trained in Britain, modern games, who had his finest hour on home soil in the Lockinge at Newbury and time to look ahead to the Derby and the Oaks, which are just around the corner. Uh, Lee Mottishead has been at Epsom this morning for what used to be called Breakfast with the Stars, Lee. But I think, what is it? Not really much breakfast and some putative (laughs) stars now. What did you see this morning? Yeah, I I departed before breakfast, Nick. Yeah, I think breakfast gallops morning was how it was billed. There were around 40 Epsom members there, so not too many. uh, More probably members of the media than there were members and we saw i think probably as few horses as we've ever seen um at this event only one trainer was represented john gosden he galloped his derby contender arrest who was ridden by frankie Dottori. uh that horse followed herovian through initially and then moved clear uh, up the home straight um frankie nudged the horse briefly a um, little tap down the shoulder, but the rest went and did his job very nicely. And then after that, we had one of John Gosden's two Oats contenders running line who went behind Forest of Dean and again came clear in her workout under Asheen Murphy. What did you gather in terms of the, the well-being of these horses, the ability of them? What what were the, what were the key key takeaways from this morning? Well, I think Frank Dottori was very upbeat when he was speaking about arrest. Um, he made the clear that he made it clear that he felt he was in with a real shot in his final uh, derby year. Um, he made clear that he thinks the horse does have pace. I think the way he won the the Chester Vaza perhaps given indications that he was a a pre not not a doer stayer but certainly a strong stayer. But I think Frankie led us to believe that he feels the horse would have sufficient class to compete in the derby. Um, He repeated more than once that this would be his last uh, Epsom derby morning and his last uh, derby uh, as well. So those of us who are still wondering whether Frankie might perhaps continue beyond this year, I think he was trying to put a a lid on on that speculation. He was also interested, Nick, in he was asked what he had taken most from the subsequent trials, those that took place last week at York and he was uh, really clear in saying that he thought Passenger had produced the most interesting and impressive performance at York last week. Passenger, uh, listeners will recall, was an unlucky in running third in the Dante for Sir Michael Stout. He's not in the Derby. Frankie was asked if he thinks Passenger will end up in the Derby and he was pretty confident that he would be. So Sir Michael Stout is listening to the pod. That is what uh, El Dittori thinks about Passengers Derby claims. Uh, we then had, as I say, we had Running Line working. She's one of two horses that John Gon- Jonathan Lady Gosden have in the Oaks. The other being Solstice, who was wildly impressive in the Musidora last week. After Running Line had won the Pretty Polly at the Guineas Festival, John Gosden implied that perhaps the, the Prix de Diane was uh, his first choice target 
for running lion but speaking um at epsom after the workout he he did again suggest that for both Philly soul sister and uh running line he also has in the back of his mind the fact that they could go to epsom and then on to the pre de diane if things don't work out in the oaks and that is a path he tried very successfully with nashua last year who ran perfectly well in the oaks but then went on to win the pre de diane under holly doyle so interesting stuff from john gosden and from machine murphy when he was Speaking afterwards, he um, was speaking about both the Philly and the Foxes who he rode to win the Dante at York last week. And he was perfectly honest in saying that with both horses, he can't be sure if they will stay. But he believes the nature of the way they race, which is behind the bridle, will give them a chance of staying. And he was also, I thought, interesting, Nick, in talking about how he believes it's very important that a horse is relaxed before those classics partly because when they go from the the entrance of the race course to the start for the first mile of that journey, they are moving uphill. And Ashim was talking about how even if um, they light up for a, a furlong or so and do too much in that furlong, it will impact on their chances. So um, interesting, insightful stuff from Ashim Murphy and from John Gosden and from Frankie Dottori at Epsom this morning. Yeah, Lee, while we've been recording this morning, there's been some news just drop on the uh, future of the horses that were in the care of trainer James Horton on behalf of John and Jess Dance. There's still a Financial Conduct Authority investigation going on into uh, Mr. Dance's affairs, um, but clearly there's been a, an agreement with the, the British Horse Racing Authority and the FCA to enable the uh, continued running of the stables in Midlam in Yorkshire and to enable uh, horses to be to be entered starting this weekend it seems at York Lee what 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 are the BHA saying so the BHA as you say Nick have put out a statement this morning it reads while the financial conduct authorities investigation into Mr Dance continues it has agreed to sufficient ongoing funds being released to cover the costs of Mr Dance's racing operations in accordance with the terms of the high court's freezing order this is with a view to supporting the welfare of the horses and the livelihoods of the staff impacted by the investigation. Now, people will hear that and they will think, well, what does that mean in relation to, to John Dance? Could he potentially benefit from this return to his horses racing? That would appear not to be the case because the statement goes on to say, having uh, revealed that the horses will run in the name of Coverdale Stud and the Titanium Racing Club. It states that Mr. and Mrs. Dance will not be permitted to have personal runners in their own names, and any prize money or other business profits will be frozen under the terms of the High Court's order, and the BHA remains in continued dialogue with the FCA. And the statement concludes again by saying that the priority of this is the well-being of the horses and the people affected. And of course, those horses, they are horses who are in training. They are primed to race for the last six, seven weeks. They haven't been able to race. That will change as of now. James Horton, uh, Mr. Dance's private trainer, has horses entered now this weekend at York. There are staff members who have been presumably still employed in work through the the FCA, but they haven't been able to have their horses racing. Um, and of course, those horses too, if you're thinking purely uh, in, um, uh, I guess, a, 
a nuts and bolts man in terms of the horse's value, the value of those horses is presumably depreciating while they're unable to race. And for the FCA, one would imagine that those horses are viewed as assets for the future. So it probably makes sense for them to be able to race so long as it can be established that Mr. Dance won't in any way benefit from their return to racecourse action. Ali, I have spoken to trainer James Horton this morning. Uh, He says it's been clearly a a very challenging time for everybody in his stable, Um, uh, but he didn't want to say too much, save for uh, to pay tribute to to the uh, hard work and professionalism of his team at uh, keeping the show on the road and keeping the horses looked after ahead of uh, some runners this weekend. Well, you don't have to go too long until you see the next... Uh, Japanese trained star and we might just have seen another one uh, Tokyo over the weekend and that was Liberty Island she'd done not a lot wrong up to that point she'd already won uh, three races but this was very impressive in the Yushun Himba uh, better known to you and I as the the Japanese Oaks now Hiro is is with us now Hiro Goda our regular Japanese correspondent and we went wild for it now Hiro were we right to what did she achieve well, you know, it was a very, very impressive performance. You know, the winning margin yesterday, the six links is the you know, fourth widest margin ever we have seen in the history of the Japanese Oaks. And, uh, you know, she now won both of the first leg and second leg of the triple crown for Phillies. Um, you know, it looks like uh, she's she's going to be, you know, triple crown, Phillies triple crown winner in no time. Okay. Okay, so so to put that into some sort of context now, Hero, um, she's obviously beating her own her own age and her own sex very well. Do you think she's good good enough to to take on older horses and older males this year? Well, this is a very very good question, Nick. Um, as far as a three year old college in Japan this year, you know, coming weekend is our derby, Japanese derby. There is a hot favorite in Japanese derby horse called Soul Alliance. This is another you know, candidate for future star. Well, it's difficult to answer to your question. If you know, I have to decide uh, which one is better, Soul Alliance or Liberty Island. Oh, wow. I, I don't know, I don't know yet. And, uh, you know, as far as all the horses in Japan, you know, there is Equinox, devastating winner uh, of the Dubai Shimaxi Classic. I believe, you know, all those, you know, Seoul Orients, Liberty Island, Equinox will run together in Japan, probably in Japan Cup. So I'd like to wait for the end of last Sunday of November. What a prospect that is set to be, the Japan Cup in November. Another horse who tends to shine at the end of the year and on foreign soil is the Charlie Appleby-trained Modern Games, but he got his long-awaited Group 1 victory on home soil and much deserved as well in the lock-in stakes. He scooted away with the race, despite his main rival, Chindit, uh, leaning over to try and bite him and William Buick in the in the final half furlong of the race. Uh, Lee, you were there. Um, what did you make of it? I would completely agree with your positivity around the horse. He's already a a dual Breeders' Cup winner, having won the Juvenile Turf, and then last year, the mile in in ready fashion. And Charlie Appleby uh, stated after the lockings that that Breeders' Cup mile and the bid to win for the third time at the meeting um, would be Modern Games' ultimate aim this year with a trip to Alaska for the Queen Anne Stakes. Coming up next, it was a... 
um, an admirable performance for, from modern games who um, took a while to get going. But once he did hit top gear, he was running powerfully um, through the line and he was well on top in the closing stages of what wasn't a, a vintage locking stakes, but it was a deep enough race. And I don't think the vintage older miling bunch are particularly strong. So modern games will have a smashing chance when he goes to the Queen and then presumably on to the the Sussex Stakes. It was a good card at, at Newbury on Saturday night. Lots of lots of interesting strands. Um Shaquille was a, a decisive winner of the Carnarvon Stakes of Trial for the Commonwealth Cup for Judy Camacho and her husband, training partner, Steve Brown, unofficial training partner, but they both made clear afterwards that the work is very clearly equally divided between the two of them. And then we had Haskoy winning the, the Aston Park Stakes for Red Hot trainer Rafe Beckett and Judmont, whose Prince Saud was again at Newbury on Saturday, as he had been at Newmarket for the 2000 Guineas. Haskoy really finished strongly to win the Aston Park over a mile and a half. Rafe Beckett was clear afterwards that he's very keen to go for the Gold Cup and that he thinks she will stay the extra mile. Barry Marn, the racing manager to Judmont, was very clear in saying that he's maybe not so keen to go for the Gold Cup, but he's not so sure that she'll stay. So interesting discussions there and there's also interesting stuff nick before the racing mm-hmm. at newbury on saturday lydia uh spoke very well on the pod last week about her belief that more needs to be done in terms of how horses are assessed prior to prior to racing well um with good timing we had the introduction of the first um set of all day flat pre-race checks at Newbury on Saturday. This sort of thing already happens and has for some time at the Aintree and Cheltenham festivals, at a third of summer jumps meetings, and for selected individual horses. But what we had at Newbury on Saturday, every horse who was declared to run there had to go before BHA vets. And I was watching the process myself. The horses had, first of all, a quick cardiac assessment. Then they had their legs checked and then they were trotted up before BHA vets. No horses were withdrawn as a result of their appearances before the vets on Saturday, but I think it's an important and positive development. That same thing will happen again for the two days of this week's Goodwood meeting and then again at Royal Ascot. And leave veterinary checks and, and scrutiny was was very much at the centre of attention on Saturday where I was uh, in, in Baltimore for the, the Preakness stakes at Pimlico. And perhaps I'm, I'm best to, to let my NBC colleague Tim Layden nutshell this in a piece that he's written on the NBC Sports website, which I, I really encourage you to read for a, a very detailed and balanced and impassioned perspective on, on events. He said, And the troubled sport of horse racing came on a warm and still May Saturday to have itself defined at the distant extremes of grief and euphoria by a pair of three-year-old bay colts bought for a total of $700,000 by separate groups of people with very big dreams and even bigger means. And he goes on to detail uh, the death of having a meltdown who broke an ankle and was uh, euthanized on the dirt early in the day and then talks about the stirring stretch duel that saw National Treasure winning the Preakness Stakes um, to give John Velasquez a first win in that race and to complete his uh, extraordinary CV. And of course, it was not lost on anybody that both horses were trained by Bob Baffert and there has been no figure in world horse racing more in the news over the last two or three years. Jay Pribman has 
seen just about all of it as a, a brilliant writer for so many years on the, the daily racing form and elsewhere and as a, as a broadcaster as well at, at Triple Crown events. Jay, just, just give your overview, your overall perspective on what happened on, on Saturday. Uh, to me, Nick, it was about as dramatic in, you know, in, in the actual literal sense of that word uh, of a day that you could get in terms of the gross extremes that we can see in racing in terms of triumph and tragedy. And it obviously centered around, you know, Bob Baffert uh, with the unfortunate catastrophic fatal injury suffered by having a meltdown earlier in the card and then uh, the victory by national treasure and Baffert's return to triple crown racing for the first time in, in two years. Yeah, you and I have, have both been at, at the racetrack, sadly, when fatalities have occurred before, and, and latterly, unfortunately, far far too often. However, I don't think I've ever experienced an atmosphere on Saturday quite like it. The place fell completely silent and subdued for, I would say, a, a full half an hour afterwards. And Baffert, his wife Jill, were, as Tim Layden's written in his excellent NBC essay today, you know, visibly shaken and upset, and you could sort of feel the the thoughts of of a huge portion of the crowd american horse racing i'm not sure is ever going to be able to reconcile itself to how it feels about this trainer who's been at one so successful and so and so talked about how how do you think this is going to progress from here it's a very good question uh, it, it seems to me just in my view of things and how especially over the last couple of years uh, from the time of the Medina spirit issue in the, in the Derby of, of 2021 and all those things that have happened, happened subsequent to that, that there are people who will give Bafford at least a fair shake. uh, And there are those who it just doesn't matter what he does. They're going to come down on the side of he's evil incarnate. Um, it just really seems that that's kind of the the corners that, that people have gone to. And it really doesn't matter what situation, you know, would happen. You know, even if you take the having a meltdown situation out of the equation from Saturday, and you can't, but I'm just, I'm, I'm using this as a hypothetical. I think even if he had won the Preakness with National Treasure, along with the victory earlier in the card in, in the smaller race by Arabian Lion, you'd still have people who were like, oh, it's it's awful to have Baffert back in the game. And, and, there, and there would be some who would be like, you know, well, this is a this is a neat thing. Hopefully he can build on this and, and he can, you know, show the world uh, that he's, you know, living up to some of the things that, that he needs to and, and has said he will live up to. But all of that is now you know, clouded, for lack of a better word, by what had happened earlier in the day. And I think people just retreated to the, the corners that, that they've carved out for themselves re- regarding him. He's a very, you know, he's become a very polarizing person. And do you think that'll ever change? I don't. I, 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 I just don't uh, because of, I think, people, as we've seen, not in racing per se, but just politically, people put themselves in a, in a corner in terms of what their beliefs are about something. And it's really hard to get people off of that position and to talk rationally and dispassionately about a different position than they've already staked out. Uh, and I'm not talking about Baffert 
you know, per se, I'm using, you know, he's, he's what we're talking about, but I just think we've come in society in a lot of ways to where we, we go to our little corners and we want to listen to people who believe like we do, and we don't want to listen to the other side. And, and I'm being, you know, it, it, it's kind of a, I don't, I, I don't want to be in that position of thinking that that's how it's going to play out because I'd like to think that there's room for people to have a give and take and for those who think Baffert is bad to talk to the people who think he's good and vice versa and, and see if they can come to common ground just as I'd like to see in our country, you know, Democrats and Republicans speak to one another and kind of come up with compromising positions that are for the benefit of all. But currently it seems like that's a hard place to get to. Uh, in terms of the the fatality rate as a whole, we know as a whole ac- across the country it is it is declining. You know the, the sport is moving moving in the in the right direction on that. But when you get a spate like we got at Churchill Downs, and then another one on a high profile televised day yesterday at Pimlico, it intensifies the scrutiny on the sport at a time when the sport has never been more scrutinised anyway. And we talk a lot about social licence and so forth. I interviewed Dr. Dion Benson. You know her well, the Chief Veterinary Officer from FIRST. There's always more we can do, she said. We can always intensify these measures. There's always more veterinary checks we can do. I mean, the FIRST protocols are pretty stringent now, Jay. Is there much more we can do as a sport in terms of examining these horses, and particularly what, what, what we're doing in America at the moment? You know, I, I don't know that we can, uh, because I, I think, as you've rightly pointed out, and you've got a great perspective on this, because you've seen in the times that you've come over over the years how the scrutiny and the veterinary checks and the requirements have increased, and, and they're for the better that, that, that this has happened. And unfortunately, and, and I, I think this is the case with having a meltdown, you know, sometimes there's just an act of God a regretful, awful act of God that that happens, and you know, that horse, along with every horse that ran on the card Saturday at Pimlico, was under the same rules for all. All of these horses are checked multiple times in the days preceding the event, let alone the day of. And you know, we've seen uh, over the recent years that the veterinary care in this country, even you go back to what happened at Churchill Downs. I mean, there were a number of horses who were withdrawn from races, even for things that maybe like, let's use Forte as, as an example, his issue. That's the kind of thing that 10 years ago, they might've let a horse like that go. And there's no uh, allowance for that anymore. And that's fine with me, but I'm using that as a, as and an, an overview of where I think we are. I think we're for the better for it. And I do think that all the horses on Saturday at Pimlico were held to that level and, and the ones that raced were approved. And unfortunately, as you know, even with the absolute best of intentions and best of care and crossing all T's and dotting all I's, unfortunately, sometimes something awful can happen. I mean, you had you know, a, a top sprinter just the other day suffer a, a, a fatal injury in 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 Britain with uh, with creative force, right? I mean, exactly. uh, unfortunately, sometimes things like th- these awful things can happen. Jay, as far as the race itself was concerned, um, Baffert won it with with National Treasure. Chad Brown was second with Blazing Sevens. Mage, the Kentucky Derby winner was just staying on at the one pace in third off extraordinarily pedestrian 
early early fractions I mean you knew when they'd gone 48 and whatever it was for the first half mile I was standing behind a lot of the connections of National Treasure and they virtually were celebrating then uh, after four furlongs I don't think I've ever seen anything like it no I mean there's that old uh, cliche that they have in American racing if pace makes the race and that was a prime example of it. You had, because of the withdrawal of uh, a first mission from earlier in the, in the week, which reduced the field to seven, but significantly took out a, a likely pace rival to National Treasure, you ended up with a horse who was able to control the pace. And, you know, we, we can come back to the vet checks. I mean, obviously, you know, first mission had a, a minor issue that was enough to cause his withdrawal from the Preakness stakes. And, and, you know, he was under the same scrutiny of all the other horses on that Preakness card. So, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's tied together somewhat, this, what we're discussing here. But in terms of what you're just now, what we've moved on to in terms of the Preakness, I think in, in that case, that horse's withdrawal from the race really changed the complexion and it allowed National Treasure to get a very easy lead, as you mentioned, a, a half mile and nearly 49 seconds uh, and, and three quarters and 113. And in a, in a classic race like that with quality horses, it's going to be very hard to uh, run down a a, a good horse who, who gets away with that kind of a, a pace. And I think that contributed, obviously, to the performance of Mage because he just didn't get the same kind of pace set up that he got in the Kentucky Derby. And it will not be lost on, on anybody that both Blazing Sevens and the winner National Treasurer have seen the backside of Forte. And Mage has seen the backside of Forte twice. Forte not in the Preakness because he was on that vet list after the Kentucky Derby when he was probably fine to run yesterday. I asked Matty Benier after the Kentucky Derby, who's going to end up being the best three-year-old in, in the US this season? We didn't really know then. I'm not, I'm not sure we know now. What's your hunch, uh, Jay? Is it going to be one of the three from yesterday? Is it going to be Forte? Is it going to be two fills? Is it going to be something else? Yeah, it's a, it's a real, it's a great question. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm glad we're not even halfway through the year, and this is the kind of year, and we've seen it quite a quite a bit in in recent years in in U.S. racing. Uh, I think the races like the Haskell and and Travers, and moving on to the Breeders' Cup Classic. If you can, if, if a horse who can get hot the second half of the year because of what's happened the first half of the year, uh, can can certainly run the table. I, I am interested, though, Nick, to, see, to seeing Forte get back in action because he clearly showed earlier this year, and, and obviously last year, too, when he was the, the juvenile champion, that he's, he's the best of this group until somebody else knocks him off, and he obviously didn't get a, a chance to to continue his success in the Derby. And I'll be interested in seeing what he does when he gets back into action. Cause he's still, I think if you had to rank him right now, you'd have to put him at the top and, and he's the one that you've got to take it away from. Jay, I appreciate your time today. Thanks so much. Oh, always a pleasure, my friend. Well, it's a, a big ownership group responsible for national treasure, but some of the most familiar owners in the, in the game here in, in North America uh, and one part of that, and the man who really glued it all together, was SF Racing's Tom Ryan, who's who's with me now. Tom, there was a there was a big, big outburst of joy uh, after National Treasure's victory. I, I know it was a classic, but just try and explain to me why why the result meant so much to you and and, and the people involved. You know, Nick, it, it, it meant the world to me. Um, it, it was a horse that we've had confidence in all along. You know, just his pathway wasn't. Oh, it just wasn't direct. You know, we were 
pointing towards the Kentucky Derby, the horse the horse got a, a quarter crack in coming into the San Felipe, and we you know we just found ourselves with several hurdles that we couldn't we couldn't earn the points necessary to to get to the Derby, which you know it, as it turns out was potentially a, a blessing in disguise. Um, it was it was emotional, you know. We have a big group of partners. You want deep down, you, you really want to be successful for these people. They're all people that are have backed us now for a number of years, and days like yesterday are, are are very important to our success and our ongoing success. You know, like we're not thinking like we obviously we're living in the now, but you're really thinking about raising capital now to buy yearlings this in Saratoga in September that will potentially turn into the crop of 2025. So we're always trying to think well ahead and be well prepared and well armed to um, to be competitive in the yearling sales. Okay, how good do you think this horse is in your heart of hearts? And, you know, you've got a few to compare him to past and present. Yeah, I, look, I, th- I think he's a horse that we, we're only really starting to learn about at the moment. We've known that he's got a high, he's, he's a high class individual. You know, Bob has said to me from even the, you know, when we ran him in the previous Cup Juvenile, you know, it was, we knew we were, we were somewhat overfacing him there, but we all, we felt like the experience was going to be good for him. You know, it was going to be good to travel. It was going to be good to, to have to deal with all of those things that he was potentially going to have to face in the future. And that experience really benefited him as he made his voyage to, Baltimore and won yesterday. I think he's a very good horse. I think he's a horse that's only run, run six times. He's six, four of those six times have been in grade ones. He's run first, second, third, and fourth. You know, even in his maiden race, he beat the Santonisa Derby winner. Um, so he's really never faced short of stakes caliber horses. And um, he's never really let us down. Yesterday was when he showed us that he's got true grit and, you know, he really bellied down in that last 50 yards and kind of showed that he wasn't going to let Irad pass him with blazing sevens. And, I, you know, what was really encouraging was how well he continued to travel past the wire. Johnny, Johnny was, he said, I had to, you know, he really had to call the pony to, to help him pull the horse up, which, you know, it's... The races to the wire, and he won that. But he definitely showed us that distance limitations are slight for this horse. So it'll be it'll be the Belmont Stakes next for him, no doubt. Look, he was very sound, very happy. Ate up this morning. His scope was great post race, um, and to look at him in the flesh, he looks fabulous. And yeah, the direction we're going to aim is, is towards the Belmont, and um, you know it's you got to let the horse take you there. Um, so hopefully it gives us all the right signs and indications over the next you know, couple of weeks that he, that's, he's up to that. But I definitely feel he's he's he deserves his chance in there. And, um, you know, again, he's tactical. And I think he can carry that speed a long way. After all, what's happened in the in the last couple of years, Tom, and you've been a you've been a really steadfast supporter of, of Bob Baffert's. How how significant do you think yesterday was? It was a day when you know, as we know, he and and his wife Jill were really put through the the emotional ringer, as was the whole sport in many respects, from from tra- uh, tragedy to triumph. Yeah, look, I think I I seen 
I seen the highs and lows of yesterday firsthand, and it it, it was Bob's ability to deal with the tragedy early in the day was extraordinary. You know, that's that's a that's a heart wrenching outcome for not only him but his staff, everybody around him. His his immediate concern for the jockey, you know, there was so many emotions and was so raw at that point of the day, you know, for him to, you know, keep it together for the task at hand later in the day and come out and, you know, Bob is Bob is a legend. He's a, you know, he's 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 a great human being. He wanted that win for us yesterday so badly. Um, it was it was it was magical. It was it was really it was an emotional win on a lot of levels for a lot of people. Tom Ryan there from SF Racing, part of the ownership group of the Preakness winner National Treasure, who's now bound for the Belmont Stakes in three weeks' time. All right. Well, if you were with me Friday, you'll have heard me talking with uh, Adrian Cunhas from Jour de Gallo about the big races at Auteuil that took place over the weekend. One of them was the Racing TV Grand de Coste d'Aide Auteuil, which is a really the French champion hurdle, I suppose. But it's run over an extended three miles. A big high-profile horses. Classical Dream was third. Hewitt was fourth. Ferronilli was fifth. Autoncouleur was eighth. Flooring Porter was ninth. The Styrian Falange was tenth. Kilcrut was eleventh. The winner, and quite an impressive winner as well, was trained in France by Arnaud Chaillet. Chaillet, and the horse was called Telem. And uh, Adrian Cunhas joins me once again. A- Adrian, this was a, a good performance. What next for Telem? Yeah, I think he was... It was extremely impressive, and many experts say this is one of the best editions they've seen for a long time of this of this race. And now um, the the owners, which are uh, the uh, children of the late James Glass Gordon, the trainer and the racing manager, are, are dreaming to come to Cheltenham next year for the festival for the Stairs Hurdle. Um, it, it's a real challenge, and and it's really for the sport because, of course. Uh, if, if this horse would still remain on the on the on the French program in terms of prize money, it would be a bit more lucrative. But I think they really want to do it for the sport and for the challenge of of, of running this marvelous horse in Cheltenham. Uh, with that in mind, then will he be campaigned in some English races en route to to Cheltenham? Do you think? Uh, that, that, that's, that's, a, that's a big question. I would say Arnaud Chaillet is a great trainer, but he's not the so there's a more talkative, I would say, is is a man of a few words. Uh, so he, he, all that remained very unclear up to the point. But uh, on the on the uh, ecstasy of the victory just after the group one, they say Cheltenham, Cheltenham, and Cheltenham. So all the questions I will prob- probably will be able to provide you more details in the in the next week or next month. But um, we don't know how we're going to go to Cheltenham, but that's, that's a big goal. And it's not the only one that probably will come for the festival. All right. The uh, Grand Steeplechase to Paris, 358,000 sterling to the to the winner. It was won by Rosario Baron for Daniela Mele and Johnny Sharon. The uh, horses that people might be interested in, Imperil finished fourth for Nick Littmerden, who's now based in France. Noble Yates, the Grand National winner of last year, finished seventh. Franco de Port was eighth. Uh, carefully selected, didn't complete. He was pulled up. Um, what can you tell me about the the winner and the runner-up here, Rosario Barra and Jex? 
So I would say that the winner is the horse with the poorest pedigree in the in the race. He is really come out of nowhere. He's a he's a horse bred by by a small breeder with one mare in his garden. So, but he's good and he's been very um, protected in his in his programs. He is really targeted this race and probably in the race a lot of horses were a bit uh, exhausted or not in their best shape. Apparently. Particularly thing to the Irish horses, they probably um, uh, didn't were at their, at their best uh, this weekend. So that, that's a great thing because Damien Daniela Mele is, is she she's a, she's quite a young trainer. She comes from Switzerland. She works in Normandy, and for the last five years, it's four-time female trainers uh, that won this race. Most interesting is that GX probably the best horse in the field. Which is runner up and beaten by by the minimum margin, they say they want to prepare the next Chatham Gold Cup. So uh, it's really, I think, a good idea because it's, it's a probably a horse with a lot of pace, more than a change of gear. He's very, very good jumper. Uh, he's running for uh, Lord Daresbury, which is very well known in England, in partnership with his brothers, the famous. Famille Cipré, the breeders of the fellow and Al Capone. So but that's another big, big challenge. And uh, and they really are extremely uh, enthusiastic in the idea of trying to run him in, in England. And they really think that the horse has the right profile to, to, to make it to Cheltenham. So Delem and Jex, horses you could see running at the Cheltenham Festival next year in the Stairs Hurdle and the Gold Cup. Adrian Cunhas, thanks so much. You're welcome. Well, thanks to Adrian Cunhas reporting from France. Thanks to Jay Privman bringing us all the news from the United States and reflections on that extraordinary day on Saturday. And indeed to Tom Ryan, who was uh, back home in Kentucky, to Nahiro Goda in uh, in Japan. And of course, uh, most importantly of all, Lee Motter said, who's been with us from Epsom this morning. And Lee, just down the road from Epsom at Sandown, its sister race course, the Derby winner from last year, Desert Crown, makes his eagerly awaited reappearance for Sir Michael Stout. night, always the uh, most important evening uh, meeting in the in the British calendar, but we don't often get to see the Derby winner um, running there. He was such a, a striking winner of the uh, the Derby last year. Hasn't run since that victory, um, but Sir Michael Stout has been, although Sir Michael doesn't say a huge amount on the way to horse riding, the vibes I think have been generally positive he's been seen working under first ryan moore and then his derby winning rider richard kingscote who'll be in the saddle again um when he runs at sandown on thursday it'll be interesting not only to see how he goes on thursday in a race that stout has done incredibly well in in the past but then what what journey the horse takes um i suspect they'll aim him towards the prince of wales stakes at the Royal Meeting, thinking that a Group 1 over a mile and a quarter will be particularly valuable to that horse's future CV. But yeah, it, it's going to be a real draw on Thursday. And Nick, that's a meeting that sometimes, uh, I think, racing purists, they go to Sandown for Brigadier Gerard Knight, and they're often underwhelmed by how many people actually turn up to watch those races um if if there's not a good crowd there this year i think it really will be disappointing because if the the reigning derby winner can't pull in numbers at sandown on a thursday night then then not much can so i hope sandown is rewarded and desert crown is rewarded with the sort of attendance he and sandown deserves on thursday what's the weather forecast looking like 
That's that'll uh, that might that might determine it. At the moment, it's good ground. Partly cloudy is the forecast for Thursday. That'll do. We'll take that. Yeah, I'm just looking. Yeah, I'm just looking on my on my at twenty degrees as well, Nick. So we might even be able to bring our our shades. And of course, as we all now know, Jockey Club no dress code whatsoever. So if you want to turn up in your Hawaiian shorts, you're more than welcome. <laughs> Lee, thanks so much. All right, have you got a tip for me for today? I have, Nick. Um, in your absence yesterday, um, Rashid was was uh, excellent. Uh, hosting the uh, Sunday morning programme. Richard Hughes was a superb guest. I'm hoping that Richard can be among the winners at Windsor this evening with Tessie Ladder, three-time winner last season. And Tessie Ladder appears in the 7.35 at Windsor, uh, a one-mile, three-and-a-half furlong handicap. So Tessie Ladder for me in the 7.35 at Windsor. All right, Lee, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Monday the 22nd of May. See you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.